0: All those dreams and thoughts that you had are gone. And it's not that somebody stole them from you. You know, it wasn't like my house got broken into and I got robbed. It was nothing like that. It's just literally gone. And there's nobody to blame. There's no fingers to point other than Mother Nature. She can be fickle. That's got to be stressful, though. It's a complete pain in the ass, man. This is the Real Food, Real People Podcast. (laughs)
1: Welcome back to the Real Food, Real People podcast. Farming is tough. And of course, there are a lot of the reasons that we often think about, you know, out in the elements, dealing with weather, hard, back-breaking work. But sometimes it's the emotional toll and the stress, the uncertainty, the impact on families. And we get into that more this week as we talk with Camus Eubelocker. This is the second half of our conversation. Last week was the first where we talked more about the nuts and bolts of his operation, what his views on the environmental impacts of feedlots is, and how much he cares about doing the right thing with his operation, producing beef for, as he mentioned last week, 65,000 people. This week, he opens up a bit more about the personal stuff. It gets a little bit more into what this means for his family and his future what he's going to tell his kids about getting into farming someday when they get to that age. And he also lets us in a little bit on his own kind of internal struggles with doing this sometimes. So, Stick around for this half of the conversation. If you want to know more about how Camus's operation works, listen to last week's episode. You certainly don't have to listen to that one first to have this one make sense for the most part. I think there are a couple of things maybe that we reference in this second half that go back to the first. But for the most part, you can listen to this um, first if you want to. Uh, but if you want to know more about Camus and, and what he does, the kind of operation he has and how he runs it, you've got to listen to, to last week's part one uh, episode with him. He's a, he's a cattle feeder, a feedlot owner in Othello, Washington. Great guy that somebody connected me with and I said, he's got to be on the podcast. And I was so happy that we were able to make this conversation happen. My name is Dylan Honkoop and this podcast is documenting my journey to places all over Washington state to talk with the real people behind our food. A lot of those are farmers, understandably, like Camus, but other people as well. Like Nels Brisbane in the world of the culinary arts and and trying to connect farms with eaters. And like Sandy Bammer in Wenatchee selling food from her small local grocery store. Thank you for joining me on this journey. And I'm sure that you will enjoy this part of my conversation with Camus Eubelocker. Fascinating stuff. And some of the things he says really give a good idea of the mindset of farmers and and the things that they face and the reasons why they do some of the things they do. So buckle up uh, for another great part of the conversation. What has been the hardest thing through all this? What was the hardest time?
0: The hardest time, I would say, any time we've decided to make any growth decision, it's. And I don't want to scare anybody young off. I'm um, that is deciding or thinking about going into egg, but it is probably the toughest nut you'll ever crack to get your. Everybody says they. Oh, I want to help you. I want to help you, but. When it when the rubber hits the road, you really you have to have enough acres, you have to have enough equipment, you have to have enough of that stuff, and you, and you can rent ground, you can rent tractors, and you can rent all those things, but the cost is just it's mind blowing. I mean, uh, you know, some crops you'll have you know twelve hundred and fifty dollars an acre in them. If you got a couple hundred acres of it, that's there's a lot of coin wrapped up, you know. And the other hard part is, is you get that wrapped up in it and you get paid once a year. So you got to make it last and you got to have a budget and you got to, I mean, you really got to nail it down. It's one of those things that when weather screws you up and I've had it happen, we had a an, our entire corn crop blow down flat one year mm. when we had uh, a lot of wind come through. Um, and it took two years to dig out of that hole. It was be, you know It was one of the better crops I've grown. And then you wake up in the morning and it's flat man, now what do I do? Well, you, we, we harvested as best we could. We lost a lot of corn. We lost a lot of, we lost a lot of money that year. Um, but, uh. What are you telling yourself in a situation like that? <laughs> some in, in no joke. I mean, some days it was like, man, it'd be so much easier to work for somebody else. <laughs> like if I could just get a paycheck right now, that'd be cool. Um, but typically, I mean, when that had happened, we had some history farming, we had some history with our bank. They, they understood, um, and you just kind of work with through it. But at the time it's, there's a lot of head scratching. And then the other hard part is, is so it's not, so you lost your crop, right? But now, well, it wasn't lost. It was, it, it just became extremely difficult to harvest. Well, then you just get your teeth kicked in from getting it all blown down. And then you're going to get a, a bill because it's going to cost more to harvest it. Cause it's laying down flat. So it's like the beatings just never stop coming. You're right <laughs> until it's done. And then you wipe that slate clean. But the beauty of farming is there's always next year, right? Like, well, we're going to change this. What, what did I do wrong? Was my fertility wrong? Was Did I need more phosphate or potash in the soil to help for stock strength? And you start second guessing what it is that you've done in the past that worked great. but Maybe you know, it
1: was just a freak storm.
0: It was. And that's, you know? what, and that's what it boiled down to. Because took, I took tissue samples, and we took them in and had them checked. And I was like, man, well, it wasn't something. I, maybe I didn't screw that up, you know? But there is a lot of those lessons learned that, uh, when you get, when it, when that particular year, that was a, that was a tough one. We also had hay cut at the, at that time. And, uh, that circle typically on that cutting should have done, um, two and a half ton to the acre dry hay. And I think I got like 29 bales off of it and the rest of it, I had to pitchfork out of my neighbor's front yard. So it, uh. So the rest of it just blew away. Yeah. It was gone. Like literally I, you couldn't find it. It was gone. Blew it all away. Um, so, the, I mean, the, and that, and you're literally you're making decisions, you know, off of that crop while you're cutting, it, looking at it, like, man, this is nice. Hey, this is going to go up really good. The weather looks great. I'm going to sell this, and we're going to get some money. Maybe I should buy a new pickup. Maybe I should take my <laughs> wife out to dinner. You know, and those are all the things that are going through my head. And then you go out there to bail it, and you're like, where in the hell did it go? And all those dreams and thoughts that you had are gone. And it's not that somebody stole them from you, or you know, it wasn't like my house got broken into and I got robbed. It was nothing like that. It's just literally gone. And there's nobody to blame. There's no fingers to point other than much Mother Nature. She's, she can be fickle. That's got to be stressful, though. It's a complete pain in the ass, man. I mean, it is. it is, And we've had blizzards in the feedlot where cattle walked over fences and walked away. And there's, you know, but I, t- I tell this to my kids that, I'm super proud to be part of an industry that when the weather gets as bad as it gets, we go outside. Mm. We don't go home. And you know, you might be going out and checking to make sure your circles are pointed in a direction where the wind won't blow them over, but you're out there in it, right? And it's funny because it'll be evening here and we'll get a storm or something like that. And then all of a sudden you start seeing headlights driving around on the you know, the county roads and things. And it's because all the guys are out checking stuff. So I'm proud to be part of an industry that when the weather hits and it's crappy and it's blowing sideways and it's snow, we're out there, you know, and that's, and it's kind of cool. And I, and I, I try to, I try to tell that to them because it's not the norm. You know, most of the time they'll close, they'll close work or, you know, Hey, school's closed today. You got a snow day. Well, then guess what guys, get your, get your gloves. We're going. It's extra work today. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. and I'm proud of that. I mean, I, I've got no problem doing that. I'm happy to do it.
1: When it does get stressful, whether it's a storm or a crop loss or anything like that, what do you do to deal with the stress?
0: I go fishing. Where? on the Columbia. That's no (laughs) joke. I got a boat and I, uh, I go fishing. That's my golf. That's, I mean, I can sit in that boat and think about things and you can scream and yell cuss words as loud as you want. (laughs) Ain't nobody going to hear it. And, uh, and I come home and I'm happy, but, uh, we don't really, you don't really get I I wouldn't say there's, there's no escape, right? I mean, it hangs over you. It's a, and the decision and the hard thing that I had to learn was that it's whatever you do today, basically is going to affect you a year out. Mm. So if we have that crop loss, you know, and you're supposed to be paid for it at a certain time, I mean, it basically takes a year to dig out of it or, or offset it somehow, you know, and diversity is huge. That's why I, I, I like to farm and I like to have cattle because, you know, we've got our, our hands in a little bit of everything. We grow some seed crops, we do some other things. Um, it's, it's diverse is a good thing.
1: Do you ever expect to be, I mean, you you said from a young age, you were interested in cattle and stuff. Yeah. But what what would you,
0: your young self say about where you're at now? Oh man. I, I think he'd say he's proud of me. <laughs> I think, I, I don't know, either that or it's, it's good. You got a 50, chance. I mean, did chance. you ever expect to to be doing what you're doing now? No. So this is, you'll get a kick out of this. So my, like I said, my father-in-law helped me buy this, the, the, our original home place. Mm-hmm. That was a gentleman's agreement he and I had. My wife wasn't even really privy to that when we did it. Mm. Um, but he kept asking me like, where's your business plan? Where's your, where? how are you going to model this? How are you going to make this work? And I never really ever gave him one. And I think now when he comes and visits, I, to be honest with you, I think he went into it thinking, all right, I'll help this kid out. He can work a job in town and, mm-hmm. and do it part-time and this and that, but we've turned it into something that it's a full-time job, not only for me, but we have three full-time employees also. Mm. And I, I think it probably blows his mind more than it does mine. <laughs> so, it, I mean, I, I don't... I didn't, so you had more faith in yourself? I did. I, I knew that if we got a shot, I could take care of cattle that's what we're good at. And that's why, that's like I said, that's because we care for them so well. That's why we exist. I mean, we have an extremely low death loss, a really good conversion, a high average daily gain. We have everything that a customer wants and we have a great facility to do it. It's clean. It's tidy. When they drive in, uh, we have an open door policy. There's no secrets. If they got a question, come find me. We'll answer it. I have that with my bank too. They're welcome anytime. Mm. And um, I think that's, that's the other beauty of our industry is there's there's literally, I mean, there's no hiding anything. I mean, it's all out in the open, right? I mean, I can't tell them like, man, look how good my corn crop is. When you, how are you going to hide 200 <laughs> acres of corn, right? Yeah. So they can drive by and be like, man, that canvas, he can grow corn, or that looks like crap. You know, well, what and, did he do? Yeah. Out there? So it's yeah. easy, open door policy, right? Come on, drive by, take a look. We'll we'll tell you what happened, or we'll go take a look at it. But um, especially on the on the feedlot side of it, you know, when they drive through, I'm never nervous. Uh, we don't, we've got nothing to hide. Um, I encourage them to come. They come once a week and it's kind of a cool deal. We drive through, we eat lunch and, uh, go on about our day. But the, the younger, the younger me, I don't know. It might, maybe the younger me would have said, should have said you, you should have started this younger. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But I think, I think, I think I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of what I do every day. What if you would have never gotten that break uh, with the, with the wheat? With the wheat or even the opportunity to buy the place. I I couldn't tell you. I, I, hindsight, I have no idea what I'd be doing. I, I don't know. And I don't know what I'll be doing in 10 years. You know, I, I, I don't know what it'll grow into, but the other thing that I think a lot of younger guys need to remember or need to get the mentality because all my neighbors are, they're all really good farmers. They're all, they've got modern equipment. Everyone's in this day and age, there's, if you're still farming, you're a good farmer. You have to and be to produ- survive. Yeah, yeah, There's no, I, th- I think all the, I think of the, the guys that were struggling and, and you know, for whatever reason, you know, crop loss knocked them out or age or any of those things. If, I mean, if, if they're still going in this day and age, they're doing a damn fine job. And that's the bottom line because we have all the regulation in the world on us. Uh, everybody we're trying to feed thinks we're trying to kill them. And it's some of the most suppressed prices we've ever had with the highest costs on everything else we've ever had. So somebody's doing something right. Right. And uh, I think, I think the younger me, knowing what I know now, would have said buy more land 10 years mm-hmm. ago. If it, it was at all possible, but it wasn't, so yeah, I think I think that's what I would have said.
1: What do you think of uh, the Impossible Burger
0: beyond meat? So I could get on my soapbox on this, and 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 it could go. This could go a couple different ways. <laughs> um, but the the uh, beauty of America is is you get a choice, right? So if you want to eat that, eat it. But don't knock me for not eating it, mm. you know. And I'm not going to knock you for eating it. I think I think if I think that that is good marketing. I think if the person that wants to eat that should really look at what's actually in it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as great as for the environment as what is in beef um, or, or how beef is raised. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to throw stats out there and stuff, but the, the, the U.S. cow herd and the U.S. Feeding, cattle feeding industry feeds more people today with less cattle because we're so efficient at it and good at it. And yeah, I just, I don't see how making something out of 900 or I don't I don't even know. I'm not going to say numbers, but I don't know how many products are in an impossible burger, but it's a lot. And you know, beef is beef. So you want to eat it, eat it. I won't. No way. What would you say um, to folks say across the, Across the Cascades
1: in Seattle, who are a little skeptical about where their beef comes from or where their food in general comes from, what's your message to those people?
0: I think uh, if I had something to tell them, I would say that be proud of where you live in Washington. Um, The packing houses that we do have here are the highest quality grade and some of the highest yielding plants in the United States. So your Washington farmers and cattle feeders are on a nationwide level are higher than most. So if they're my neighbors across the hill. You know, should be proud, proud to live here. Can they trust you to to provide them safe food? All day long. Um, There's a lot of checks uh, in place that, I mean, it's mind boggling when you tour a processing facility where they harvest cattle. The lengths that they go to, to make sure that that product is safe for somebody to eat um the recall state the stuff that they have if there is a uh, a need for a recall the things that are in place for that are it's it's amazing i mean it's a it's a very safe very clean very well-managed, very well-handled industry. And I've got a a guy that we actually feed cattle for always says this. He says, you don't want your food, everybody wants their food produced produced like it was by their grandpa. And the truth of the matter is, is you don't want your food produced like it is today. You want it going to be produced like it's going to be tomorrow. Mm. You want to, I mean, the stuff that we do now is so cutting edge in comparison to even when I first started. And the evolution of, uh, you know, even processing facilities, the feeding industry, I mean, it's amazing. So you're saying you don't
1: want the stuff the way that your grandpa produced it?
0: No. Why not? What's wrong with that? Well, I mean, for one, we've got refrigeration. We can freeze stuff. We can do all. I mean, yeah. we've got all these this modern technology at our fingertips that, um, you know, we can trace stuff. We can track stuff. We can we can test things. We have all of these insurances in place to make sure that when I sell my animal to a consumer or through the packing process and it ends up on a consumer's plate. I would I, I I would be happy if my, they had to look at my face on the package when they opened it. I'd be proud to put my name on it. I mean, I believe in it that well. It's 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 a safe, quality, well produced, well managed product. Isn't the idea
1: though that oh, back in Grandpa's day, or even Dad, you know, previous generation, a generation ago, it was you know the. The operations were smaller and it was maybe more hands-on with a farmer. You know, it was more, maybe more environmentally friendly because of that. You're saying that's not true?
0: I would say that the way we monitor and how we utilize the things that we have at our fingertips today are better. Like I said, my small facility feeds 65,000 people. My grandpa sure as hell didn't do that. And he had the same amount of land. Mm. So with what we produce in a narrow window of time. I mean, the U.S. US farmers, U.S. ranchers, U.S. cattle feeders, we, we produce a surplus. We, I mean, we rely on an export market. We're good at making food, really good at it, to the point that we can feed everybody here and still have them complain about it, but we can still sell it over, overseas and we can feed you know other countries. It's phenomenal. So no, if we go back to that, I would rather those people that are Saying that, they should have to pick out who starves to death, not me. I don't want to. I'm going to keep making it. But that's not the road that you can go down to feed the masses of people that we have. You can't. That's not the answer.
1: Talk about your family. You, you talked about your wife, and, and yep. she's very supportive of, of what you do. You have yep. kids, too, now?
0: Yep. My wife's awesome. She uh, she works in town full-time uh, at an agriculture bank. Um, she's been there, I think. She's been there ever since we started this. So she's been there about 12 years. Um, got three kids. My daughter's uh she'll be 9 in November. My son just turned 6 and I got another daughter that just turned 2 here in July. So, yeah, got three three of them running around.
1: I bet that can be a zoo. It is. It is. And I know it is around my house anyway. Well, I got little they, munchkins too. And
0: they're all into different stuff. You know, my daughter likes um soccer and she's she's about a year and a half away from being a black belt in karate and uh my son just wants to play basketball and ride four-wheelers. <laughs> and my youngest, uh, she just likes to color. So she, I mean, she's color and pet the dogs. That's it. So they're all, they're all very unique. It's pretty cool. And they, they really, I mean, we've got a little orchard here back at the house and they've got chickens and rabbits and goats and horses and cats, and we've got a little greenhouse. So they, uh, they got chores every morning that they got to do before they go to school. They got them every night when they come home and something as simple as feeding, three cats can take an hour because you get sidetracked <laughs> by, a, yeah. you know, I mean, so, and it's the cool part. I love where I'm raising them. Um, you know, we can throw them outside and there's, there's nothing that's going to hurt, you know, I mean, they're safe and they mm-hmm. can go be kids.
1: So. Do you see any of them becoming farmers or ranchers following in your footsteps?
0: Uh, my, my daughter shows some interest in, um, in, uh, in the health side of, of animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, 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 <laughs> She's not a big fan when we ship them, mm. um, but she really does like uh, she likes the health side of it. So I I don't know if she'd ever become a veterinarian or not, but I think if she was going to lean towards something in agriculture, it, it would be um, more on the animal health side of things. Um, my son, it it's uh, it's equipment. He likes tractors, he likes loaders, he likes bulldozers, and he likes the circle irrigation. He he's real, he's wired to, to know why that stuff works. Um, but he does want to, he, he tells me all the time he wants to be a farmer. So and my youngest daughter, I think, uh, she's, she's only two, so she's still learning how to talk. Yeah. So we'll see what,
1: see where she goes what yep. she gets into yep. really with all of them. What, when it comes time and let's say your son keeps doing this farmer thing, wants to keep
0: doing this farmer thing, what are you going to tell him? So it's funny you say that I've, I've sat down with my wife before, and we've had that conversation. When you're like you were saying in those low times, and you, th- I think to myself, "There's no way in hell I would ever want. I would wish this upon my kids." Mm. There's, it's so much easier to go get a job, work for somebody else, find a different trade, you know. But then there's the great days where you get all your jobs done, and it's noon, and you know you got all this land to go enjoy. So it, it wouldn't be a decision to make lightly. You know, come home and farm because you're going to make all this money and life's going to be great. Um, that ain't the case, but you'll make a living. And it's and it's a it's an interesting part of the part of um, the U.S. economy where you know under less than two percent of us in egg feed ninety eight percent of the of the U.S. or the world. You know, I mean mm-hmm. it's it's pretty cool. So there isn't you know when we get together, like our cattle feeders association, the joke is we can fit everybody in the in a super cab pickup. Because there ain't very many of us, right? And we're, we're, it's a small industry in the Northwest, but it's very significant. I mean, we feed it. There's a lot of cattle on feed in, in Washington. Um, but I, w- I, I would have no shame in encouraging my son to, or my daughter, I mean, any of them, any kid, to get involved in egg. I think there's a great future in it. I think people are going to keep having babies, and there's going to be more <laughs> of us that we have to feed. Um, so I think I would encourage them. I, I do think that in, in the future, smaller acreage farms are going to be more viable. Hmm. I think it'll be easier for... not I shouldn't say easier, but I think it'll be more financially stable.
1: Why do you say that? A lot of people are saying the opposite of that, that I, things are just going to keep getting bigger.
0: No, I, I disagree. And I, the reason I do is because there's just going to be more people. And if you can produce a certain amount of food off of one or two acres and make a little bit of living doing it, I, I mean, by all means, go do it, mm-hmm. right? So... I mean, you've got other states that are in droughts that are huge producers of vegetable crops that people eat. And the beauty of Eastern Washington is we've got water. And there is a great future in this area for my kids to come back and do. And I think that the opportunity will be there on a smaller scale also. I think big farms are going to be big. That's just how it is. But behind all of those big farms, I mean, all all the farms that are around me are big farms. And I know those people that own those and run those they're my neighbors, right? And it's still a family farm, but they might farm 6,000 acres or 11,000 acres or 20,000 acres, but it's still a husband and a wife and kids that are keeping that ball rolling. And it's kind of cool because we've been here long enough now that I'm seeing some of those kids are coming back and they're good kids and they're working hard and the employees enjoy them. Uh, They have a little, maybe a different outlook than their dad did. You know, dad, you can't work them on Sundays like this. You know, let's give them a half day or, you know, or get them on a schedule or, you know, it's not Egg has evolved a lot in in that manner as well. It's 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 not they're not bad jobs they're great jobs they they pay really well. When matter of fact when the minimum wage increases in our state have happened it didn't affect anybody out here because nobody makes minimum wage. If you are a skilled worker that mm. has a has a talent or even a drive no one's going to start at minimum wage. Mm. It just doesn't exist. So I, I I would encourage the the you know this younger generation coming up. I mean buckle up it's going to be a ride but. I think there's definitely a future in it, for sure.
1: People got to eat. It's it's hard to have more leverage than, than that issue,
0: right? Yeah, it's kind of tough. And the the other hard, like I said, it's hard it's hard to hear people complain with a with a full belly. I I, I really just I just it, it's hard to even fathom that that they can sit there after they ate lunch and say that you know we're bad for the environment and all these. It's just it, it it's frustrating. This, this is the easiest way to say that. I read this stuff on Facebook and it just drives me nuts. And I just, and part of me, and I don't, I mean, maybe I need to try harder on that social media deal, but I, I just wish they'd call me and be like, hey man, what, is this true? I'm like, no, hell no, that's not true. Where do you, where do you hear that? Or where did you read that? Or who even is dumb enough to write that? Just, I, I encourage everybody, ask a farmer, ask a cattle feeder, ask a rancher, but, but just ask them. We do this every day.
1: What if somebody does ask you and, and you tell them and, and tell them the facts as you know them, and that still doesn't change their mind. What do you say to him then?
0: I did my part. I tried, <laughs> you know. And and beyond that, there's really nothing more you can do. And I'm not gonna get on a soapbox because I produce beef and tell everybody that's a vegan that that's a terrible idea. I'm not that guy. Mm. If, 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 if that's your choice, man, but don't beat me over my choice. I'm not gonna beat you over yours. Just don't do it, don't do it to me. And I don't. And I think that there's a certain A very small percentage of organizations make the loudest noise right and those are the ones that there's no way in the world that i as a cattle feeder in my remote area where we're at will ever change their mind if i even did engage with them all it did would probably just stoke the fire and i'm and i'm not that guy i mean we're just going to do what we do but if somebody is on the fence and has some questions like that i would encourage them to look uh look up some of these associations washington cattle feeder association's got a website uh washington beef commission's got a website i mean all these there's it the information's out there just look in the right place please that's what i would
1: encourage well thank you for opening up talking about your family and your history and your farm and everything it's really been been a great conversation and really interesting i appreciate it no problem man. happy to do it
0: This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food.
1: So does a conversation like that make you want to get into farming? I know if you're like me at all, it leaves you conflicted because part of it sounds so incredible to be growing food that people eat. I don't know, maybe is that just because I grew up on a farm? It's in my blood. I know that for sure. But then part of, a conversation like like I had with Camus makes it sound pretty scary. And like, why would I ever want to sign up for that? Something that would take over my life and could potentially lead to really hard times and a huge amount of hours and a lot of physical pain and the threat of bankruptcy. Why? Like he said, at some, at some points he just feels like... Ah. I should just work a regular job clock in clock out. And this whole farming thing is not worth it. But then he has his good days where he's like, wow, I, I wouldn't want my life to be any different. I'd love to hear your reaction to a conversation like this or any of the conversations that we have. Share your comments on our social media posts with this or other episodes or shoot me an email. Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org is my email. Um, my first name, Dylan, is spelled D-I-L-L-O-N. Not the, not the Bob Dylan way, the, Ma- the Matt Dylan way, if that makes sense. Not that I necessarily identify with either either of those people, but people always ask. So Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org. We've got some really cool conversations coming up in soon weeks here too, and more and more about how COVID, COVID-19 is impacting the farming world, um, uh, and the people in the farming world, uh, both on a personal level and then on a business level and even beyond business, like on a bigger economy uh, level, what's going to happen here is pretty unclear at this point. And there are a lot of people who are worried. And in some ways, just to kind of give an advanced heads up of some of the things I'm hearing from the people who we're hopefully going to be having on the podcast here in coming weeks, there may be some really cool opportunities right now for local food and farmers because of what's happening with this virus and the way it's changing markets and the way it's causing people to think differently about their food and where they live and if they're secure. But especially with what's happening to the bigger you know national and global markets, there are some very scary times ahead for farming as well. and I'm also very worried about a lot of local farmers. So it's it's a mixed bag. We're gonna be hearing more about it certainly every week as we go, because it's it's on everybody's mind right now. Um, so expect that in the next few weeks coming up as well. Thank you again for joining me on this journey of mine to really get to know these farmers of all different stripes, as well as other people kind of in the food chain, in the food system, whatever you want to call it, other other people behind our food here in Washington State. That's what the Real Food Real People Podcast here is all about. I'm Dylan Honkoop. It's a privilege to have you uh join me for these conversations, listen in, download. Uh, subscribe on whatever you're subscribed on. If you haven't already, I sure would appreciate it. I sure would appreciate a share on social media too. If, If anything that we talk about on the podcast, one of our guests says, whatever, if it strikes a chord with you, I'd really love it if you shared it on your social media platform. It just helps us grow this conversation to more and more people. And and that's part of our mission is to get more and more people reconnected to their food and where and who it comes from. So the more people that we can get plugged in on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, the the better job we can do to kind of change the landscape of at least people's awareness about food and farming here in Washington state. So I'd really appreciate that. And don't miss uh, next week as we continue here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. Oh, and I should also thank our sponsors. Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. You can find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.